Hi, this is David Naughton, and I'm the next guest on On Screen and Beyond. On Screen and Beyond, an inside look into the entertainment world featuring interviews with people from the movie, TV, and music industry, news on upcoming TV and DVD releases, and the rumor mill. And now, here's the host of On Screen and Beyond, Brian Zemrak. Thank you for joining us for another edition of On Screen and Beyond, the weekly show that keeps you updated on what's coming your way as far as upcoming new movies, remakes, sequels, and TV and movie DVD releases, as well as our interview segment with a guest from the movie, TV, or music industry. This is episode 258. I'm your host, Brian Zimrak, and this week our guest on On Screen and Beyond is David Naughton. Now, he covers all those bases. An American Werewolf in London was his movie. He was also a singer. He had a hit song, Top 5, called Making It. He was also on a TV show called called Making It, and My Sister Sam, and on April 7th, he is one of the co-stars of Granite Flats on BYU TV, so be sure to check that out, and David will be coming up in a few minutes right here on On Screen and Beyond, and this week we are going to be looking at our monthly little jaunt into what's coming your way for the upcoming month, so April release is coming your way on TV and DVD and in theaters. So we got a lot of things coming your way, so let's get right into it. Coming up next, what's coming your way in theaters as far as remakes? I'm going to tell you next, right here on On Screen and Beyond. Please hang up and try again. Remake Madness coming your way in April. Well, the remake of The Evil Dead comes your way on April 5th. The original was a 1981 hit starring Bruce Campbell, who uh, is now one of the co-producers on that. And believe it or not, that is it for remakes coming your way in April in theaters. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, we'll take a peek at what's coming your way as far as upcoming new movies. Right here on On Screen and Beyond. Upcoming new movies. Well, it looks like director Danny Boyle brings us trance on April 5th. And it's starring James McAvoy. The film follows an art auctioneer who gets mixed up with a bunch of criminals. And on April 12th, 42 follows the story of Jackie Robinson and the Brooklyn Dodgers general manager, Branch Rickey. And Chadwick Boseman plays Robinson, and Harrison Ford plays Rickey. Justin Bateman stars in a film called Disconnect that shows how all people are interconnected on the web in a dramatic thriller. April 19th, Tom Cruise stars in Oblivion as a drone repairman stationed on Earth in the distant future. And on April 26th, The Big Wedding features an all-star cast with Robert De Niro, Katherine Heigl, Diane Keaton, Topher Grace, Robin Williams, and many others in a very funny romantic comedy. That's it for upcoming new movies. Next on On Screen and Beyond, we're going to take a peek at what's coming your way as far as sequels down at Sequel Cities. <laughs> Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Sequel City, well, there's not too many coming your way in April, but April 5th, you can get Jurassic Park 3D as it returns to theaters. Now, that's not really a uh, a sequel. It's just a, a re 
imaging of the Jurassic Park movie into a 3D film. So, that's uh, like I say, it's not really a sequel. And the comedy Scary Movie 5 will arrive on April 12th. And that's it for sequels right here on On Screen and Beyond. Coming up next, it's going to be what's coming your way as far as TV on DVD. TV on DVD, well, April 2nd, Flipper Season 2, 3, and 4 will be coming your way. And Route 66 Season 4 and Tombstone Territory Season 1. April 9th, you can catch Adam 12 Classic Collection, and you can also get Boss Season 2, Dick Van Dyke Season 1 on Blu-ray, Family Ties Season 6, Leave it the Beaver, 20 Timeless Episodes, Merlin Season 5, and Route 66, the Classic Collection. On April 15th, look for China Beach, the complete series. On April 16th, you can look for Fraggle Rock 2, In the Heat of the Night, Season 8, and Stony Burke, the complete series. April 23rd, you can get Maverick, Season 2, The Restless Gun, complete series, Touched by an Angel, Season 7. On April 30th, you can get 30 Rock, Season 7, Combat, Season 1, Friends, Seasons 1 and 2 on Blu-ray, and Star Trek Next Generation Season 3 on Blu-ray. That is it for TV on DVD coming your way in April. Next on On Screen and Beyond, we're going to take a peek at what's coming your way as far as movies on DVD in April. (laughs) Movies on DVD, well, April 2nd, Hemingway and Gellhorn with Kidman and Owen will be coming your way, along with the classic Hello, Dolly! on Blu-ray. April 9th, look for Hyde Park on Hudson with Bill Murray. April 16th, Django Unchained with an all-star cast. April 23rd, Gangsta Squad, The Impossible, and Promised Land. On April 30th, Silver Linings Playbook with Jennifer Lawrence will be coming your way, along with Texas Chainsaw, Broken City, and the classic Funny Girl. That is it for Movies on DVD. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, David Naughton is going to be joining us. David, of course, is going to be one of the co-stars of the show that's going to be on BYU-TV on April 7th called Granite Flats. Okay, Now, I've had a chance to see two episodes. It's a great show. Be sure to be looking for that on your provider, whatever your satellite or cable TV or whatever. Uh, but David's going to let us in on all about it, and we're going to be talking with him. Last week, we talked with Richard Gunn, who plays the sheriff on the show. David Naughton plays the doctor on the show. And, of course, David was in uh, An American Werewolf in London. He had the hit song Making It and uh, just all kinds of stuff. We're going to be having him coming with us right off, right here, next on On Screen and Beyond. Today's guest on On Screen and Beyond is an actor-singer who was the star of the horror classic An American Werewolf in London in 1981. He had a top ten hit called Making It in 1979, and he was one of the stars of My Sister Sam in the 80s. Recently, he has appeared on Big Love, The Mentalist, and Grey's Anatomy, and on April 7th, he is one of the stars of the new BYU TV show Granite Flats. It's David Naughton. David, welcome to On Screen and Beyond. Thank you very much. David, uh, actually, last week we had Richard Gunn on the show. So yes. we've had the opportunity to talk a, a little bit about the show. But, uh, you know, of course, 
What did he tell you? All kinds of stuff. But what <laughs> what I did was I actually uh, have had the opportunity to see two of the episodes already. Oh, you have. That's that's very helpful. Yeah, and and I got to tell you, I love it. It's a great show. Oh well, thank you. Um, I would uh, venture to say that you've seen more of it than I have. <laughs> <laughs> but I was there. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, it. Um, it, it I, I was telling him that uh, it, it, it's got a very appeal, sort of like um, the Goonies mixed in with E.T. and also with the Wonder Years thrown into it. Well, good. I, you know, I think that that's always a good idea is to, to to try to um, for new viewers is to give them an idea of what's the show like. You know, I mean, I know, and in, in when you're trying to pitch a show to networks, they want to know, well, what's it like? You know, right? But um, I would, uh, I, I guess I'd go along with that. Yeah, it's one of those shows that, you know, after the first episode, it was like, okay, great, I get to see another one, you know, so I watched that, and then it was like, I want to see the third one. <laughs> now I'm going to well, have yeah, to wait you know, till April. The interesting, I think, is the fact that it is serialized, so that one, you know, and that's not the, you know, a brand new idea. Of course, it's been around for, you know, 50 years, and more shows, I think, nowadays are, are serialized shows. Um, in the sense that, you know, we'll have a cliffhanger, which is kind of fun uh-huh. uh, at the end of episodes. So hopefully that will drop viewers in for the next one. Yeah. When I was talking with Richard, you know, because we're very careful because we don't want to tell everybody the whole story because we don't want to ruin it for people. So I may be vague or we may be throwing things back and forth here that are, uh, you know, we know what we're talking about, but nobody else is going to know what we're talking about. Right, sure. <laughs> So, uh, give our audience a rough idea of what the show is about, because some people may not have heard the other episodes, so uh, uh, give us an idea what the show is about. Well, it's really, you know, it, it's sort of seen through the eyes of, of children, um, and what their ages are, you know, I kind of confuse what their real ages of the actors. They're young kids. To me, they're, you know, 10, 11, 12 in that, in that age range, mm-hmm. and um, a new kid comes to Granite Flats, which is... Uh, uh, the town in Colorado where this takes place, um, Arthur Milligan and his mother, Beth, uh, who's a nurse. And I meet them because I'm a, a doctor in the military hospital in Granite Flats. And so Beth works for me, and that's how I hear about and meet uh, through the course of the show, and certainly in our first season, young Arthur, who, as it turns out, um, has a couple of buddies, uh, classmates of his, and they decide to become sort of... Uh, little sleuths, as they say, little detectives, Mm -hmm. in finding out what's going on in town, because something has happened, and they're trying to solve the mystery of what they thought initially was a comet that that streaked across the sky, and they're trying to find out, as there is evidence in town of things that being discovered that seem to have fallen out of the sky, and they want to find out just what that is. Now, your character, you actually appear, I think you're the third regular who appears when the show is showing, you're kind of mysterious. You seem a little rough, a little little angry. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I have to say, um, and what's interesting, even it's kind of why I was very interested in taking the role in the first place, is it's a complete departure from other things that I've done. Right. And it's an opportunity to be uh, in, a, in, a, in a role that evolves, uh, just as the show does, um, and will continue, I'm hoping, and, and I'm very hopeful for. Uh, it's, you know, so there's not all, all of what my character, Dr. Woodison, and who he is, is really revealed to me, let alone to the audience. Uh, 
it's a combination of going, well, what's coming down the pipeline for future shows? And, of course, like any new show, there is so much production uh, and so many little fires to put out, as they say, you know, things that come up in the course of shooting that they don't have that far in advance all figured out. Um, I know that they, well, you know, speaking to the executives uh, as far as, well, you know, every actor wants to know, what's my character doing? Where is this going? What's going to happen? Is he going to have a love interest? Or who's going to, is there anybody in his family who are going to be revealed? You know, all those kinds of questions um, are left unanswered, even to the actors, let alone to the audience. Oh, okay, being an eight-episode show, they don't give you all eight episodes to let you read over? No, they don't. Uh-huh. Uh, you basically go from the pilot, which is, you know, the initial uh, first episode, and... Um, and see, you know, where it's going. What was interesting to me was, well, first of all, it's not called, like, you know, it's not Leave It to Arthur, for example. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not uh, really uh, seen totally through the eyes of one character. It's the town of Granite Flats. And to me, that opens up all kinds of possibilities as to who lives in Granite Flats, who are the characters, how, you know, how many ways can you go in finding new and interesting people that live there or come visit there? Mm-hmm. Um, but that's really, you know, the, the title of the show. And in it are all these interesting characters who we come to learn little by little uh, about who they are and what's going on. And, in, and as we, you know, maybe I failed to mention, we're talking about 1962. Right. So it's a completely different time uh, in our nation's history and what was going on you know in the newspapers and what was interested to kids and this is you know before computers in fact when i was thinking 1962 color televisions were just coming around right. you know <laughs> and and um so it's that was what you know kind of intrigued me is he wasn't just all on the page completely revealed there was some mystery to him uh even as you know as an actor approaches the character which is how i looked at it i said wow there's a lot of potential here and I've, you know, I would try to corner the, the producers saying, okay, so like, is he a good guy? I mean, <laughs> who's he work for? Uh, what's going on with this guy? You know, um, and you, you know, sometimes they they tell you, and sometimes they go, well, you know, we just we're not sure. <laughs> so you have to kind of go with that. Yeah, that must be hard because. It, 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 the questions you were just saying are, are questions that go through my mind while I was watching it. In the second show, I seem to see maybe you have a, a good heart. You know, I mean, there was a little little questions you asked, and it sort of said, "Well, he's not. He can't be all bad." <laughs> right, exactly. You know, and I'm always looking to say, "Where's the redeeming factor for this guy? You know, where is he's just not you know all dark and and dreary? What's going on?" And so, yes, you know, in little small increments, there. You know, I ask about the son, and you know how's, right, how's yes. Arthur doing, and and you know, um, you know, uh, who knows? He is, you know, in a in an authoritarian position, so he sort of has to be, the you know, the guy in the hospital that sets policy. Um, and I don't know that I've ever <laughs> had to be the you know the disciplinarian in the group. Um, uh, but it seems that there he seems to certainly go with protocol and and I hold a high standard of of uh, of work uh, a work ethic for him and for his staff mm-hmm. and you know what happens outside the hospital I think remains to be seen and, and I'm hoping will be revealed in you know shows to come um, 
he can't all be just, you know, what makes Dr. Whittison tick is something that I'm looking at as well as I hope the audience does as yeah. well. It's, it's going to be interesting to see what happens because, uh, and, and, you know, I hope that they're going to go for a second season because, <laughs> you know, I don't know where you're going yet, but after two episodes, I'm, I'm already hooked on it. It's, right, and things will move along, you know, in the, in the shows that are coming, you know, after that. We're on the final eighth and final show of this season, so there are some things revealed that um, are very interesting, but it's not wrapped up by any means. You know, there's so many more story ideas. Um, it's only an eight-show arc at this point, and, and I'm very hopeful and optimistic that uh, we'll do more. I mean, it certainly looks good. You know, it, it is a kind of a really cool, and they have paid really close attention to the style of 1962. And, oh, yeah. You know, and... and um, you know, just for people that remember those, those that era, uh, you can just look at it for the cars. Every time there's a street scene, you know, you'll mm-hmm. see a cool car go by, and and um, I mean, and that's a question that I'll ask the producers: going, Whittison hasn't gone for a drive yet. What kind of car am I driving? You know, um, and and you know, you hopefully you, you get to the point where you can, on the day that you actually have to, okay, this is when Whittison has a a moment of as a civilian, and he gets in his car and he drives off into his house. I go, what's his house look like? What kind of car is it? I said, I'd like a, well, let's say he's a doctor. What is it, like a, a big old Oldsmobile? You know, who knows? So, yeah. I mean, you just kind of, um, it's a wait and see for all of us. Can you tell us about how you actually got into it? Did you have to audition? or? Did oh, somebody... yeah. You know, there's, what's really interesting in terms of you want to talk about 21st century technology, you know, but, you know, I, I grew up in uh, Connecticut, uh, in, in the 50s and 60s. In fact, it was really, it kind of hit me like right between the eyes one time, time we were sitting there shooting on Granite Flats, and I thought, you know what, I'm the age, I was the age that these kids were in 1962. <laughs> I mean, gosh, they're going through, and I was trying to remember what it was like at 12 years old, uh, and t- 11 and 12, and what I was doing. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I grew up on the East Coast and went to L.A. to be an actor to New York and then finally to L.A. in the 70s. So, uh, you know, and it was always um, my experience uh, and my training was to, you got to go in and read. you got to audition. You know, you can talk about it to your blue in the face, but most people want to see you in the role by actually showing up and doing something uh, in an audition. So in 21st century technology, I put myself on tape and sent it off in an email to Utah because I live in Southern California down in the Palm Springs area mm-hmm. and in 48 hours later I got feedback on yeah they like you for Dr. Whittison wow. I went cool <laughs> well, and I go and of course my first question was who is Dr. Whittison and, and we've talked about that there's there's mystery there yeah now one thing I saw on the show that I chuckled at was the duck and cover in the school they were doing. They had the kids doing the duck and cover, and yeah. they were showing the original. <laughs> I know. Was... Now those kids are all thinking, you know, we got to look at the history books. But some of us remember actually sitting there right. and having air raid drills. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, so, like that was going to help. But yeah. Yeah. It was. <laughs> well, it was something to do. I guess. It was, yeah, it was something to do, and we were prepared for it. Right. <laughs> Uh, working with the cast that you have, it's a, it's a good cast, and have you worked with any of these people in the past? No, you know, no, none of the cast, I think. Uh, have I worked with any of them? No, I don't believe so. What is interesting, going back to Utah, 
Um, I know that they liken, uh, BYU likens uh, Granite Flats to Touch by an Angel, which was a show that I had done an episode of oh, in Utah. Um, and it, it kind of came up with uh, not talking so much to Chris Demuri, the production designer, but our sound department worked on all 210 episodes. So I said, really? I said, you remember the episode in which... Kathy Lee Gifford uh, and I were on, and they go, oh, yeah, we remember that. Uh, so that was really the last time I was in Utah working. Um, and uh, so I, I've, I've realized without even knowing it that I've worked with some of the crew, hmm. <laughs> but none of the cast. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so you've actually worked on that set because it's the same set, right? I mean, not, not the set, but I mean the building. Well, um, y- you know, there's th- this particular stage that we're using uh, – uh, yes, was I think used uh, for certain episodes of Touch by an Angel. It, it so happened that the one that I did was on a practical location out of t- you know out of town, right right on the lake, right on the Great Salt Lake, which oh. where we were shooting. But um, yeah, it was, and, the, and they talked about uh, some of the locations are very close to you know sets that were used uh, on, on Touch by an Angel. But yeah, there's a lot to shoot. There's all kinds of great. Uh, locations in, in in and around Salt Lake. So it's the the thing that struck me was I said, how ambitious is this show? You, you're setting it in 1962. You've got kids as the leads. Oh yeah, and let's shoot it in the winter time. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's that's you know what other possible obstacles could you add to a new kicking off a new series? But they've done it, and uh, to their credit, I think they pulled it off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I... People will enjoy it when it comes out on on, uh, April 7th. It's it's going to be a a good show to, to catch. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now, as far as your career, you mentioned that you were leading into doing acting and things, moving to L.A. and things like that. When you were real young as a kid, is that what you wanted to do, or did you want to grow up to be a baseball player or something? Or Well, you know, I, I, um, I just happened to be very lucky to be in a school system, a public school system in West Hartford, Connecticut, where I grew up. Uh, my parents were initially teachers, and my dad went into administration. But in the school, when I got to junior high and high school, really, we had a guy, Mr. Lauer, who uh, was just a terrific uh, singer himself and had an incredible artistic flair for musical theater. And that's really where I got my first introduction to, you know, doing the high school musicals. And um, that was uh, something that both uh, not only and my older brother and older sister, Kathy and Jim, uh, also uh, were involved in those Jim went on to become an actor, James Naughton, who's been a big Broadway guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, my sister went into teaching, and I sort of said, you know, uh, as much as I couldn't deny it, I enjoyed it. There wasn't anything I enjoyed more than getting up on the boards and uh, being involved in either a musical or some sort of live theater. And so I pursued that. Um, I went to the University of Pennsylvania that didn't have a drama major, but uh, I nevertheless 
uh, studied English, was an English literature major. Then I went on to Lambda, the London Academy of Music and Dramatic Art, and studied acting, classical acting, really, for two years in London. And uh, started in, really, uh, in New York. My first job was with uh, Joseph Papp in the New York Shakespeare Festival, production of Hamlet that starred Sam Waterston. And, okay. yeah. and it was my first job, and it was like, wow, New York's not so tough. Uh, <laughs> I found out what that really meant <laughs> after that show was over. And I was a member of uh, Actors' Equity, and found out that uh, nobody was hiring 25-year-olds that frequently. So, hmm. um, But that's really how I got my start, and uh, and it's just been, um, you know, one thing after another as far as, uh, you know, it was in New York where I, I was kind of went to just an audition one day for Dr. Pepper, just thinking, hey, it's musical, but they want real dancers, so I don't have a shot. Little did I know that about four callbacks later, uh, 700 guys, they uh, picked me to be their spokesman, and, and, and off I was running, um, singing and dancing across America. <laughs> now, was Pepper, uh, the Dr. Pepper commercials your first extension into your career, or was it TV? Or I would say probably uh, those commercials brought me to the attention of L.A. and Hollywood and producers mm -hmm. for television and film. Um, it's really amazing what an impact can ha uh, commercials can have, oh, yeah. particularly on a campaign where you're not just on one network at you know one day a week, eight o'clock Thursday, say. I mean, it runs all the time on, on big events. And now, if and I remember so, right, Barry Manilow wrote the, the the song, right? Well, he had actually he, he was like the campaign before, like when Dr. Pepper was misunderstood. You know, okay. that was the idea, Dr. Pepper, so misunderstood. That That's was right. Barry's. Okay. Um, and then somehow you know ad campaign changed and went. Wait a minute, we're not misunderstood. Now it's cool to be a pepper. So the Be a Pepper campaign was my uh, sort of um, foray into national exposure. How many years did you do that? Uh, four years. Four years. Four I mean, years, I mean, yeah. Everybody remembers that. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's like med school, right? Four right. years, and then you got to, no, I don't know, or like graduate studies. But, yeah, it was for four years. Um, started with, it was really four one-year contracts uh, that started with just, um, but what was amazing was the first, the first shoot was a 22-day shoot across the country for three for two minutes of film, a 60 and 230 seconds. Can you imagine 22-day wow. shoot? You can do, and I've have done a whole feature film in that time. But um, these were big production numbers. Anyway, that was that was then, and um, and it was just a really cool exposure. I have to say. Could you have ever imagined when you went in to audition for that commercial that that it would become? the huge hit that it was no you absolutely don't know you know you you, you just kind of um and again you know you get to watch you know uh, how people kind of stumble on to things that really catch on it's not all planned nobody i mean everybody takes credit for it <laughs> once it's successful but initially you just you know i think that the plan was to go out with an idea um and they wanted to do sort of a pied piper idea of one guy who gets more guys to get more people and gets the whole country uh, thinking about well, how cool it is to be dancing down the street and and it did it caught on um, particularly because I thought they were pretty well done and uh, mm -hmm. and as I said they lasted um, for a while and rocketed their sales and everybody was happy yeah. now is there any chance we're going to see your character as the doctor dancing around <laughs> on yeah, you know I just that's what's kind of you know as they say it's it's um, an interesting bit of casting as me as Dr. Woodison because my background is not, you know, the serious-minded, 
Uh, it doesn't look like this guy can carry a tune, you know. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, I always have that in the back of my, you know, pocket should the, the time present itself. Say, wait a minute, what are you telling me? Dr. Whittison sings in this episode? <laughs> you know, who, <laughs> that'd be great. What else do you do? How about he, you know, does he ski? Because, gosh, Utah is certainly um, oh, yeah. a fantastic place to be. And people remember me from Hot Dog, the movie, which was a ski ski movie. Oh, but, yes, uh, I remember that one. Yes. Yeah, but, like, yeah, maybe Whittison skis and he does a rescue. What do you think? And I go, no, maybe not. <laughs> now, but, did, uh, did you actually ski in that movie, or did you have stunt doubles and everything? Oh, well, it's certainly both. I mean, but the one of the things about the film was uh, we shot it on the side of a mountain, so you had to get to the set. The set was the side of the mountain, so you had to ski to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and fortunately, I'd had some you know, skiing experience before. We did have a couple actors who uh, literally couldn't get on the lift, which always was a big problem for the people at Squaw Valley where we shot that movie because... Um, we were all dressed as racers, you know, with yep. bibs and just the state-of-the-art ski equipment. And then you see this guy trying to fumble getting on a, on a ski lift. They thought they were being punked before it was, they knew what being punked meant. A lot of times it's, it's harder to get off. <laughs> I know. Well, they would, and they get up, and so they were literally, they gave a couple of people actor armbands going, just so that the lift operators would see him coming, going, okay, get these guys on and off really gingerly <laughs> because they don't know what they're doing. But, yeah, it was a very steep mountain, and we did have to do some skiing. But, no, there are some incredible stunts in that film. Yeah, I'm sure that, we weren't doing those. That we weren't, and these were, you know, world-class freestyle skiers at the time. So uh, I would have to say no. I I had about three or four doubles. Yeah. So, Granite Flats, you're playing a doctor. Am I correct in assuming here, from what I've been doing my research on, that your first role in a TV series was a doctor on Planet oh. of the Apes? Oh gosh! <laughs> you know, didn't even make that connection myself. <laughs> but um, yes, you know, uh, there was yes TV series, and my brother was James uh, was one of the astronauts in that series. That's so true. I came, went out to L.A. to visit him, and I had the uh, the perfect criteria for to play an ape. I had brown eyes. So <laughs> <laughs> I went in an audition. Uh, I was young, very young, and it was really one of my first, I think, first jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, to go in as Dr. Stoll yep. and say one line in an ape uh, in an ape costume, or really in an ape makeup. But what's interesting in the connection here is that that makeup was designed by uh, Dick Smith, who trained Rick Baker. Wow. And Rick Baker, of course, did uh, won his first Oscar making me up in American Werewolf in London. Right. So yeah. there was a connection. Huh. Jeez. Now, making it. The TV show, yes, and and the song. Um, of course, they they came out together uh, because it was the theme song for the the TV show. No, go ahead and say it. One made it and one didn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not where I was going. But... <laughs> oh, that's that's what you know. That's sort of true. And there's a lyric in it, even going, "No more, no more making it." And I go, "Yeah, that's right. We got canceled in one." <laughs> after one, you know, thirteen week run. Yeah, but but I mean the the song was a humongous hit it you know it's again we were talking about did did you have any expectations um other than the fact that it was really a a wonderful experience to be working with these guys uh freddie perrin dino ficaris who had also written for peaches and herb Mm -hmm. you know um 
reunited and shake your shake, groove yeah, thing. Shake your groove thing yeah. These were huge hits. And I walked into the studio going, hi, I'm doing this TV show. And, uh, and I'd like to, because they already had, you know, some famous guys ready to record this song. I had to go in and audition for that. And saying, but you know, and fortunately, Tom Miller, the producer at Paramount, uh, convinced those guys that they should give me a shot at recording it because, after all, it was sort of my story. If the series was about a guy trying to make it, um, you know, in in the world, and so said it would make sense to have a theme song sung by the lead character. Right. Um, well, at least that was the pitch. And he said, "Well, let's see if he can do it." So I got into uh, over really, uh, as it turned out to be like four blocks from where I ended up living, Studio City, California, went into the studio, started, uh, heard the song, tried to do it. He goes, where, where are you from? I go, Connecticut. He goes, where'd you go to school? I go, Philly. He goes, give me Philly. Give me Philly. And turns from that, that was the direction I, I was I was told by, the, mm-hmm. by them. And I go, Philly, hmm, whatever that means. <laughs> so... That was my interpretation, and the song did. It went to number five in the top 40. Um, oh, yeah. I was going on American Bandstand and rocking New Year's Eve and you know, doing live performances from Las Vegas. It was crazy. Yeah. Uh, but um, why not? It was a, kind of a fun, upbeat song, and I used to get mail from people saying, look at our cheerleading routine. It's to your song. And they'd send me, the at the time, uh, the VHS uh, to, uh, of the routine. Mm-hmm choreographed to the song did you plan on continuing into a career in music or, or staying in film or, or how, where, well, you what know, direction Brian, one of the things it's it's so it's really changed now and you can see it is that in and we're only talking about you know in the 70s you know right and even 80s 30 33 years ago right. but it's really changed then it was just it was so un, unusual for an actor who sang to be able to do, you know, have a record deal and pre, be pursuing pilot and television roles. Mm-hmm. I mean, that today is just, you know, automatic. You look at all the kids that are coming up in all these shows, uh, and, you know, from Idol and so on. They're, they're uh, the voice. They, I mean, they all get TV deals and record deals and, you know, film things. And, I mean, it's just kind of a standard operating thing. But it was very hard to do then. It was like, choose, make your idea, you know. If you didn't have a band, I, and I didn't have a band, ready to walk in a studio and cut an album. And at the time, I was with RSO uh, Label, mm-hmm. which was, um, who happened to have a group called the Bee Gees and other people. Uh, and they were... Uh, they they decided RSL Robert Stigwood who was alive at the time said you know what I'm we don't have a label anymore and that was my there went my label so it was very difficult to go around and say look uh, you know I'm an actor but I have this song and they go well uh, gee you know we'll we'll think about it yeah yeah now but they must have when they were auditioning you for that song for the theme song for making it they must have known that you could sing right because I mean you you're the pepper guy. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, then, though, you, know, you have to also understand what you see in, in uh, people that the faces you see in commercials are not always the voices, let alone the singing voices. Well, that's that true. See. That's true. So they have, you know, studio singers that are going to dub, and you'll be lip syncing when you dance. Uh, but I said, no, no, wait a second. You know, if I'm the pepper guy, i got to be the pepper guy. Come on. That, gives, <laughs> that opens the door to live performances, which I ended up getting a chance to do. Uh, 
and you know come you know come on down and meet me and I'll sing the song at such an opening of a of a you know concert in Dallas or where they were headquartered or mm-hmm. whatever. So that made sense. So, but it was certainly the the um, I got the the experience from those commercials uh, and the studio work to feel confident enough to go in and try to nail uh, making it. And here's a funny thing: when you talk about never happened uh, last. November, while we were shooting Granite Flats, I got a text from a company in New Jersey that re-records music, and they wanted to do, that's right, making it. Huh. And I went into the studio in November in Hollywood and re-recorded it wow. in the original key, and now it's out and apparently available uh, as a re-record from uh, 1978 to 2012. Wow. Now, do you, do you do any appearances singing at all? Um, well, you know, it, it really depends on, on the need for, or I should say the request. Um, I have, certainly in the past, and uh, there are times when I go out and do personal appearances for different things, and who knows what might happen. You know, if there's a band, there could be a party breaking out, and uh, so there's, I, I am, um, I have been known to get up and sing with a band. Uh, that would be great. I, I'd but that's only that. when I'm invited, though, Brian. I don't. <laughs> I don't storm the stage. Right. Give me. A, let me in here. <laughs> let me in here. You got to know making it. No, yeah. that doesn't happen. <laughs> now, my sister Sam. How did you come about that show? Did you uh, audition for that one too? Yeah, it was just another uh, case of um, being at the right place at the right time. Pam Dauber had a series. Uh, all set to go, and uh, there was just a character that they hadn't cast, and I was able to g- go in sort of in the 11th hour and uh, be cast as her next-door neighbor, Jack. Uh, and it was just a wonderful opportunity to, to work with Pam, who's obviously was, was a huge star at the time as mm-hmm. Mindy. Uh, hadn't been too, you know, it, it was pretty recent when she was playing Mindy and Mork and Mindy. Right. So she had her own show, and... Um, got a chance to join that cast, which we did a couple of seasons of and uh, had a really a really wonderful experience. Yeah. Now, American Werewolf in, in London, I, I almost said Paris. I don't know why I always keep saying Paris. I know. Well, there, <laughs> there, there is one that's out there called that name, but I don't think it really has anything to do with uh, the original. Right, yeah. So, so with that, you mentioned Rick Baker did the makeup on, on that. For you and uh-huh. um, now that, that was a, that was a classic. That's really become a classic horror movie. And how long did you have to sit down in makeup for that? Well, it's it's just it's a really. Uh, I don't even think things are done quite the same. In fact, I saw Rick recently. He goes, "Yeah, I really tortured you guys." <laughs> but this was, you know, we would have to do these full body molds, uh, arms and legs, face, head, uh, you know, multiple times. So it's like going under plaster for um, a period of an hour or so. And then, so he could go on and and get the molds to make the makeup. Uh, And then when it actually came to applying the makeup on the day that we were shooting, I was there in the chair. I had one week in that transformation scene, which is two minutes on film or about two minute and 30 seconds or something, uh, 10 hours a day for six days in the makeup chair. Uh, And and then just... uh, having to go out and then we'd shoot for maybe an hour or so really there wasn't we'd shoot about an hour to two hours when that was about the extent of what we could do with that phase of the makeup and 
John Landis would go, okay, that's it, that's a wrap. And Rick would look at him like, wait a minute, I just spent all day putting, putting this guy in makeup. That's all you can shoot? He says, well, that's, what else does it do? Yeah. Was it hot in that stuff? <laughs> well, it's just really, uh, you know, it's pretty claustrophobic, I have to say. You're just at the point of not wanting to, um, you know, you have to be cooperative so that they can apply the makeup. But then when it came time to get out and go through the changes, uh, there were different things that were required. For example, I was they had a set that was supposedly an apartment where I was going through this transformation um and I was in the floor uh halfway and just so my sort of my chest up was exposed. The rest was uh in a giant body appliance. So I was in the floor for about 5 hours. Um before, and the only way we'd break is to say okay, everybody else leaves so they turn the fans on cuz it'd be hot in the set. And everyone would leave, and I'd just be sitting in there going, okay, I can do this. I can go another two hours. Jeez. So it's a little grueling. Um, also wore lenses, you know, that were uh, full glass lenses that go in your eye. Um, they don't do that to anybody anymore. <laughs> they don't dare. Yeah. <laughs> so. The glamour of Hollywood, right? It was glamour, but they kept saying, this is going to look so great. Wow, this is going to be so scary. You know, oh, really? Okay, well. Could it be scarier if we do this faster? Would it be just as scary? <laughs> no. Go, no. Were you a fan of uh, the horror genre? Well, in so far as certain ones, yes. You know, I, I did my homework and saw Lon Chaney and The Wolfman and yeah. saw these films. And, and in fact, uh, just recently they had a thing at the Academy in last October where they sort of double-billed The Wolfman and American Werewolf in London. And uh, we had a nice panel of... Uh, Rick Baker and John Landis and George Folsey, the producer, and myself, um, and I hadn't, you know, we hadn't been together in 30 years. It was wow. pretty wild. Uh, just talking about the film, and Lon Chaney Jr. was there talking about the Wolfman, and uh, it was, um, it was, uh, it was fun. And uh, so I would say yes, I, I have been a fan and continue to be. Yeah. Well, it certainly was a, one of those movies that stood out as far as the horror genre when you know when it came out. It, it was a, a good movie. Well, thank you. Now, I want to finish up with two final questions. When you get a chance to relax and uh, sit back and watch TV, what are your favorite shows to watch now, and what have been your favorite shows of all time, and also what's your favorite movies of all time? Oh, gosh. Uh, you know, there's. I watched... Uh, I watch sports primarily. You know, I like to watch. I follow uh, some of the. You know, right now we're getting into college basketball, but I watch football and baseball and uh, the NBA as well. You're a golfer um, too, right? I do. Yeah, I love to play. I have to say, I do watch. I watch the majors, and uh, yes, I will uh, occasionally watch. You know, uh, uh, I watch a lot of the the PGA events. There was even one here where I live in Palm Springs that you know what used to be called the Bob Hope is now the Humana. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I follow golf and follow the guys, and I've had a chance to play in some pro ams, which is really you talk about nerve wracking. <laughs> you think singing in front of people is you know try swinging a golf club, but um, who's who's the most uh, uh, the person that you know struck you awestruck you when you had to play with them as far as a pro? Well, uh, they're just they're all the level of their you know the way they swing and the way the sound that oh, the yeah. ball makes when it's hit by a pro is so different from anything you've ever seen before <laughs> you know i had one just funny story i 
a long time ago. Really, it was in the 80s I was invited to play, which is really when I started after this experience. I said, I either got to learn how to play this game or, or quit because I can't go through this again. It was pretty embarrassing in the 80s playing in a tournament in North Carolina, and there was a, a pro range and the amateur range, and there were some celebrities there. So I get out of this car, and this guy looks at me, thinks he recognizes me. He takes me over and puts me next to Tom Watson on the pro range. So I'm between... Tom Watson and Ian Woosnam, who was also the Welshman who also won a major. And I'm standing there going, I'm on the wrong range. <laughs> and I said to myself, well, as long as I stay here and fool with my bag, I'm fine. But if I take one swing, they're going to know and ask me to leave. So I hung there for a few minutes and then uh, went over to the amateur range. But while I was there, I got a chance to really watch these guys up close and hit hit a ball. And the sound it makes is unlike anything anybody's any amateur ever really experiences until you play with one. Right, but, yeah. So, anyway, it's they're they're in a whole different league, and I just aspire to be uh, better than my friends. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, sometimes that's that's the truth, and other days they get me. Yeah. Well, and I also ride. I ride bikes. I ride bicycles. Ah, yeah. I like to cycle down here. It's a really nice place to live and cycle at this time of year. Um, it's going to get hot, but... Uh, I ride in the heat as well. But as far as television goes, I'm a big fan of The Good Wife on CBS. Mm -hmm. I think that's just a really well-written, well-acted show. Um, I do. I mean, I like these well-acted shows. Mad Men, of course, I watched. I thought that was terrific. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's some are better than others. But I try to stay away from the reality stuff. Oh, uh, yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. Drives me nuts. <laughs> What about movies? What are your favorite movies of all time? Oh, well, you know, I'm probably The Godfather is probably one of the best trilogies of all time. Mm -hmm. um, I thought it was really one of, one of the great movies. Martin, I'm a big fan of Martin Scorsese. Uh, Pacino, I always liked his stuff. I watched all his movies and, and, and tried to learn. And he, he's taking some wild chances, and that's what I think you have to do as an actor, yeah. is continue to stretch yourself, take some chances. Um, that's what I what appealed to me about uh, Granite Flats was the fact that it's you know getting uh, taking a, a role where you're not really sure where it's going or where, where it's about, but take the risk and uh, and 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 hopefully stretch as an actor. Yeah. Well, David, when they told me I had a chance to get you on the show, I jumped at the chance because I definitely wanted to get you on here. I know our audience is going to love hearing you, and I wish you luck with Granite Flats, which premieres on April seventh, and everybody should check that out on BYU TV. I thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us today. Thank you, Brian. It's been my pleasure. David Naughton. A lot of fun talking with him. I want to thank him so much for taking the time to talk to us. He's got a busy schedule with the, the filming of the episodes of Granite Flats, and it comes your way on April 7th on BYU TV. So be sure to check that out. It's going to be a good show. I promise you. I, I had a chance to see some, so I enjoyed it. So I think you will, too. And it's something your whole family can sit around and watch. So that's even better. So that's it. Okay. David was a great guest, and I thank him so much. Now, we've got a lot of things going on, and uh, I talked about a few things 
uh, probably at the beginning of the year about having a uh, chance. People are asking me if they can get things with uh, T-shirts or hats or things like that with the, our logo on it. And uh, I'm in the process of working on that. We're going to be having a, a store where you can buy some stuff if you want. And uh, uh, that'll be coming up in a little bit. So uh, stick around for that. It's not, not over yet. Like I said, I'm trying to get you a good product. I don't want to get some junky stuff. But uh, um, it'll be coming your way. So be, be patient with me. And also, if uh, you are going to be doing some shopping, remember, all year long, not just at the, the holiday season, but all year long, you can go to onscreenandbeyond.com. If uh, where you're going to purchase something is one of our sponsors, if you would go to our site first, click on their ad, it'll take you to their site, just do your regular shopping like you would, and we'll get a little credit for that, and it'll help support the show, so we appreciate that if you do that. It keeps us going here. And uh, also, if you're on Facebook, be sure to like us. If you are on iTunes, be sure to go there and leave a review. And uh, if you've got a suggestion for a guest, mail it to me. Love hearing from you. Send it to me at feedback at onscreenandbeyond.com, and I'll see what I can do about getting that person on. I really enjoy reading your emails. Uh, a lot of people just uh, send emails to chat, and I, I love that, too. So I love hearing from you, and I thank you so much for listening. And that is a wrap for this week. So until next week, when we once again take you on screen and beyond, I'm Brian Zumrak. Take care.